Hello, and welcome to Season 5 of Captain's Corner. We'd like to take a moment to let you know how grateful we are to you, our listeners, for making this podcast such a success. We believe that Season 5 will be our best yet. We have a great lineup of speakers for you to enjoy. So we ask that you share this on your social media with your friends and family, and of course, give us a like and leave a review. Thank you. We hope you guys enjoy the season. Today on the podcast, we have Captain Dr. John Clifton, Salvation Army Officer from the United Kingdom. This fifth season of Captain's Corner is sponsored by PFS Financial. That's PFS Financial. And they use biblical principles to guide you in growing and stewarding your wealth. But more importantly, PFS will guide you in fulfilling your search for significance and help you establish a legacy that will embody your passions. For more information, visit pfsfinancialfirm.com. And our thanks to the CEO of PFS, J.D. Palekia, who serves on the Tampa Area Command Advisory Board. And he's the chair of our finance committee and is a wonderful, godly man. You can hear an interview that we had with him on the fourth season of Captain's Corner. We're thankful for his team and the way they're coming alongside of us to bring you today Captain's Corner. Well, welcome to Captain's Corner. This is Captain Andy, Andy Miller coming to you from Tampa, Florida. And today I have somebody all the way on the other side of the pond. And I believe it's Captain Dr. John Clifton. Are you captain or are you lieutenant still, John? I'm, I'm a captain now. Oh, there yeah. you go. Very they, good. Um, they've, kept, they've kept me on long enough there to it is. Uh, reach these lofty heights. There it is. And, and uh, John... Um, and, and tell us a little bit, John, about, well, first, welcome to Captain's Corner. We're so glad to have you. You look like you're coming in from a, a loft library. Where exactly in England are you? Uh, yeah, well, thank, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. It's really good to be able to speak to you. Good to, um, yeah, just good to hang out, I guess. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm in my loft at my house um, in Ilford, which is kind of uh, the east, east, more eastern part of East London. Okay. Um, and uh yeah this is where this is where i try to get some work done um which yeah trying uh, that's that's kind of it <laughs> and we're we're recording this and i think we'll all be in this place for a long time in the middle of covid-19 and um i'm sure that's a- affecting you and your family and your core um in dramatic ways so obviously the fact that you're at home at this point is a part of yeah. that yeah yeah so my my default is kind of working from home at the moment um uh, Naomi, my wife, is uh, is currently on uh, maternity leave. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, so she's with uh, with the children downstairs and doing uh, doing homeschool. Uh, so doing an excellent job. Um, yeah. So it's is an interesting, yeah, very strange and interesting time. So, so tell me about your family real quick. Yeah. Uh, so I'm uh, father of daughters. Okay. Um, so my my girls are amazing. Um, Miriam, who's nearly seven, uh, and then Abigail, who's four and a bit, um, and then Joanna, who's uh, she's like she was born in December. Um, so I've I've completely lost track of time. So I don't know, <laughs> I really know what month it is. Um, so as to, um, so as as to how old she is now, you could do you could do the maths. But she's yeah. she's at that she's at that cute age where she started smiling and reacting to you and, and making you laugh so yeah. yeah um yeah they're they're brilliant and um yeah i was watching um uh kobe bryant's funeral right, um right. I, I saw some of kobe talking about being a girl dad oh yeah 
and um yeah i was yeah what, what he was saying it just really resonated like girls are best yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the lord blessed me that after two boys i got one so i have a nine-year-old daughter named georgia and i can't imagine you know being a dad without being her dad so yeah yeah for sure totally but understand. Well, you, yeah. you and I have interacted for a while, but mostly online. And um, but we were able to meet a little bit just for a short time in at the Boundless Congress in 2015. But I think it, we've been exchange ideas electronically for a while. So I'm just really glad for this opportunity to be able to dialogue with you about some of the work God's called you to do, you and Naomi, and your yeah. cores, the, the cores that you you both have led. Uh, and I hope that in this discussion, we'll get a little sense of like some of the differences of application of mission in different Western contexts and from England to the United States. Um, and I think that that will be helpful because it, I, what I always maintain about the nature of the mission of the Salvation Army is obviously it's to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in his name without discrimination. But wherever we are, that mission adapts to the needs mm. of the community and as we proclaim the gospel. So um, so I think that that's been unique. And there's like different social factors involved with what happens in the UK um, compared to the United States, definitely, and, and even just regions. So you, let's just get right into it. I wanted to, you, you run, a, or you not yourself, but you've been a part of a project that is a, a response to homelessness. And it's also uh, been a political process, but yet it's involved the Salvation Army, but it's involved the Salvation Army from a core basis called Project Malachi. So could you just kind of outline a little bit for us what that what Malachi, the Malachi Project is? Yeah, so uh, Ilford Core. Um, so this is our, this is still our first appointment, Naomi. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so when do we when do we get here? Uh, Two thousand eleven. So yeah, and my so great great grandmother was. Uh, uh, I don't know if you saw my brother share that with you. My great great grandmother yes. yeah. was officer of the Ilford Corps. So, well, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it 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 was a prestigious place. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then they appointed us. Um, but uh, yeah, so so we, um, yeah, we were appointed here in in 2011. Okay. And we had. Uh, it is quite an interesting setting in Ilford. Uh, just if you if you're looking at the core building, to, on on one hand side you have um, like the the council housing services. So okay. that's you know, like kind of local government um, where you go if you need help, if you're homeless, if you if, if you've been made homeless or facing facing homelessness, you go there um, to 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 get some help from from government. Um, and then on the other side we have. Uh, super expensive um children's shop uh which is kind of gucci and armani for babies really uh, like ri ridiculously expensive so you get people be pulling up in a rolls royce servants coming out followed by somebody else they go in pick a load of clothes um and then fly back to whichever uh, country that they've uh, oh, that wow. from just for that so it's, it's so on the one hand we've kind of got capitalism gone wild um and on the other hand we've got the state bureaucracy and then we're, we're kind of situated right between the two um so we would find yeah it's just uh, that that is kind of emblematic of the of the work that, that we've been able to be involved with uh, and we would find that people would go to the council housing services go to the housing advice center they would get neither the housing nor the advice that they were seeking wow. um, they come to the salvation army because you know the salvation army can sort it out right yeah. um, i think that's something that there's kind of a similar expectation no matter where you are um, and i remember being um you know 
couple of weeks, you know, couple of weeks, brand new officer. I was in, in you know, enthusiastic, going to change the world, you know, yeah. fired out of, um, out of training college. Um, and then I spent 13 hours with, with a guy um, trying to sort out, you know, he, he uh, split with his partner was, you know, ha- had ended up on the street for a few nights. Um, and I spent 13 hours with this guy, just trying to help him, trying to find a housing, you know, trying to find somewhere for him. Um, and like, I, I got to 11 PM at night and it was just like, I have no other option, but you know, here's a sleeping bag, stay safe, come back in the morning. And for me, that was a real, you know, that was a significant moment for me in facing that, that sense of powerlessness. Right. Um, I hadn't really faced it to the same extent before. Um, and you know, powerlessness is not a fun, <laughs> a fun experience. Um, and, but yeah, I think in the context of church, I think in the context, certainly at, at Ilford Core, uh, where we feel powerless, we're, we're driven towards action. Um, and so that led to us opening up a night shelter. So the upstairs hall of our core building, uh, you know, just camp beds kind of set out. So I think that's a little bit different from a shelter, from, from a shelter as would be uh, potentially conceptualized in the States. Right. Um, but just kind of opened up the upstairs hall, um, camp beds to be able to accommodate uh, as many people as possible just to bring them in out of the cold uh, so just as a temporary period so december to beginning of march uh, kind of fast forward uh you know, fa- fast forward quite a bit um we realized that lots of people were, were returning year after year and that was partly um uh, because of a status here called no recourse to public funds okay so they weren't able to access kind of housing benefit uh, to be able to get that kick start you know with with rent to, okay. to get into accommodation uh, and so we wanted to we thought you know we need to build some accommodation and we spent spent some time exploring what those options might be um, but the most interesting and exciting really seemed to be um, to to be using uh, kind of modular construction so off-site construction that could be redeployed in the future on temporary sites mm-hmm. uh, so we had a uh, if you if you go through the go through the history of my phone i have pictures of where i've taken taken photos of land or photos of um <laughs> buildings that have estate agent signs on them um but then we found uh we found a plot of land um which is just around the corner from the from the hall and, and right in the middle of the town center in ilford uh, which we which was owned by the council um so yeah when you say about a political campaign um you know a political campaign to be able to secure that site um and to negotiate with the authorities to be able to secure the land um you know and that negotiation produced a really helpful positive partnership with with local government uh, and uh yeah now uh, at, at the point that we're at now uh, we ended up kind of setting up a setting up a homelessness hostel during covid19 mm. uh which interesting experience uh let me back up for you real quick um so there's i think i can translate most of this there just in case some folks you know just so you know our audience is uh, a a lot of people who are engaged in the mission of the salvation army some of our advisory board members some people who are just in the tampa community at large but we certainly have people internationally who are officers and soldiers of the Salvation Army who gets on that. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm going to explain trans- a little bit of what I'm going to say. Translation. Uh, <laughs> but th- when you say hall, that generally is what we associate with the Salvation Army church or core building, right? Yes. Okay. That's so correct. so the Salvation Army building that's there in Ilford is, is around the corner from that. But when and you say council, 
you're referring to like a, a broadly a municipality of some kind or something that a governing group over yeah. that society. It, are you within London? So does that fall under London? Like the yeah. Uh, so there's uh, there's different there's different layers of it. So in in the states where you'd kind of have I guess you know you'd have federal state and then you have like regional with, with the well, like the regional thing. I think of Parks and Rec. Is okay. That, you yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so in in our context, you know, you'd have national government, and then you'd have um, in in London, you've got the Greater London Authority, which okay. is a city city wide thing. Okay, okay. Uh, and then within London, you have thirty two boroughs. Okay, uh, which is kind of like your Parks and Rec level. That that's okay. Sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, so our area is Redbridge. Um, so the that's kind of the the most local political area. Okay, and so those are your councils, and there would be elected council members who are the trustees yeah. or something of that area yeah okay so, so roughly equivalent to like um of a town or a city you know and and so you've worked together with them in like a public private partnership where you're able to get this land and then put the this shelter of sorts there but i love how it kind of adapted just from your basic response of like well i have a i have a, a upstairs where i could put some beds so let's do that and then it's developed into something more and, and, and if i'm getting the story out of order just t- you know correct me but there is yeah. there was like a, a campaign of sorts um i forget what it's called but i um that you were involved with that helped produce produce um, like a political campaign or something like where there was a large gathering you talk about it in your dissertation too what yeah so we um uh, so we're involved with an alliance, uh, a broad-based community organising alliance called Citizens UK. Okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which in the states is kind of a it, it's connected to the IAF Industrial Areas Foundation in the states, um, and and as a method of bringing uh, different community organisations together to be to be able to work on issues of of the common good. Uh, and so for us in in London, uh, affordable housing is is a massive issue for us. Um, so, but we recognise that we don't have the power ourselves to be able to deal with that. Um, so we we work with other organisations and ally ourselves. Uh, you know, kind of that principle of um, you know no no permanent allies, no permanent enemies. Um, hmm. You know, we work with whoever we need to uh, at a given time to be able to achieve the thing that needs to be done. Uh, and you okay. know, that's that that's the way to go really to yeah it, to address issues of the common good yes yes and so you've taken this as a way then to target this problem that of of homelessness in your area that might be in ilford is is more pronounced because of the n- nature of government services and where they are and maybe this is where people land more is that right yeah that that's it so we we had a really high rate um so of the um of, of all of those uh politi- you know the kind of council what you know uh, council level areas um at, at the time ilford um and our, our surrounding area was number 11 in the country okay um so we would have been we would have been in the top 10 except a few guys uh, a few guys passed away hmm. um unfortunately um so yeah it was it, yeah we we had a particularly acute issue um, at the time, which, you know, partly thanks to um, setting up Malachi Place has really helped. Hmm. That. So, yeah. so uh, and I love I love that you bring that up because like this isn't this isn't a statistic. These are people creating God's image 
who, mm-hmm. you know, in the community that, and I love too, the, the, the idea, I like to think of the army as being called to communities, you know, not to a building, like you're called to serve the Salvation Army in Ilford. And these are people, part of that community, however they got there, who have been um, in a in a position, and, and and it started too for you with a with an individual. Like it's easy to kind of retreat when you get to an administrative piece to statistics and pushing people yeah. off off to the side and forgetting about them that way. Yeah. So at every, every point throughout the process, uh, throughout the building process, you know, I think uh, you know, for those for those that have been involved with the building process, you know, you've got with any building process, you know, a lot of it takes place in quite small meetings, uh, but then there's those points where it can get wider. Uh, and lots more people can get involved. Um, and so we kept trying to look for those, pay, pay attention to those opportunities to involve more people, and particularly people who would, um, you know, potentially end up living in Malachi Place. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that they they were involved with shaping it, uh, you know, so that eventually when they come to live in it, or even if they've, you know, if they find somewhere else to live first, fantastic. But when they could walk past it, they can they can point to it and say, I, I helped build that. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, um, yeah, a powerful thing to, to be able to say. So it's a modular unit that you've put together kind of like, um, it, to me, I've seen pictures of it online or almost like Legos that. Have- yeah. Yeah. So it's my, my kids make project Malachi's out of Duplo all the time. <laughs> uh, they're quite obsessed with it. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just kind of, um, uh, so on the ground floor, we have a bike recycling social enterprise. Uh, so so that kind of takes up some of the ground floor space. Then there's some office uh, and a, a couple of uh, disabled access units. So wheelchair accessible. Uh, but then apart from that, it's um, yeah, just 40 individual units stacked up. Um, uh, they're, they're self-contained. So they have a shower, toilet, um, uh, a little kitchenette. Little, mm-hmm. little, little little kitchen area with a, a microwave a sink um, and then bed and a, a wardrobe um, closet that's what you say there you it? go closet. yeah i know what that yeah yeah and we know about wardrobes because of the chronicles of narnia yeah. so we're good oh, okay that's yeah, all right yeah. um okay so so this is interesting um do you did not just you does the salvation army kind of like the um i don't know better word like owner or operator or the project uh, Malachi as a whole place is a community owned group. Like how does that function and what's your role with it? Yeah. So that's, um, so, so this is a first for the army in the UK, um, which is where our core, our, our church, Salvation Army church uh, is, is directly responsible for, uh, for a supported accommodation service. Uh, so traditionally within the Salvation Army, there's within the Salvation Army in the UK, there's this split, right? uh, a strong split between social and uh, church, as it were, social and field, it used to be called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, and and that split, um, you know, which was for administrative purposes, uh, has has led to this kind of separation between, uh, between the life of the church and the the action right right amen <laughs> uh, which which really which is is very very sad i think yes um it you know we the, and, and what we've kind of ended up with is a situation where our churches uh, end up uh, going door knocking raising money to be able to then pay other people to do the work um that is which is really important right uh, the work which is uh, on the one hand transformative to other people but also transformative to oneself 
um, in in the process of discipleship. So right, right. Um, that that to me just seemed dumb. I, I don't think that's a sensible thing to do. Uh, I don't think it's a sensible way for us to be to be operating. Uh, so we yeah we we have uh, been through all sorts of uh, yeah you talk about Narnia and, and go through a wardrobe. You know I've, I've been down rabbit holes. Uh, of, of bureaucracy here trying to you know it, discovering aspects of the salvation army in the uk that i just didn't know existed um and yeah it's it's, it's been fascinating uh, but really illuminating as to how the the separation of this sort of work this sort of ministry with with people who are you know in a particular condition of powerlessness in 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 the form of homelessness uh, like how that is divorced from the life of the church yeah um, so, where we've taken responsibility for it, where our church has built it, where our church has set this up um, and plays a really active role in the running of it. Um, we are, you know, we've got a vision for overcoming that. So everybody that's moved into the hostel, uh, everybody that's there, we, you know, we, we recognize that we have a pastoral responsibility for them. We uh, consider them part of the Salvation Army family um, in, uh, in Ilford and, um, you know, as to, as to whether they turn up on a Sunday morning or not, doesn't you know, it doesn't matter, right? They're still they're still part of our community. Um, so that is, yeah, that's a really key part of the the ethos of running this, and that was a, a big driver behind um, behind us wanting to set this up. Mm. It's so interesting. It just hit some of the Savage Army pieces. So um, in the UK, this. You, I wonder if this is all connected even all the way back to 1890. So you know, many people know the Salvation Army started in 1865, not far from where you are anyways in the east end of London. Yeah. And then in the 1880s, um, there began to be a shift in William Booth's thinking and how the gospel was lived out. Um, and in 1889, he had an article called Salvation for Both Worlds. And then in 1890, brought about um, his book in Darkest England, The Way Out. But also with that, functionally is what where some changes happen is that then we have the creation of the social wing. And there was, that there was I don't think it was meant to be at the time, but this entire kind of like separate organization under him and uh, Frank Smith, Com- Commissioner Frank Smith, who is a socialist and ended up becoming a, a politician later in his life after he left the army, was the leader of that. And he actually, he was a part of the Salvation Army start in the United States too. So um, like, do you see this all uh, institutionally connected to um, that time? Like the, the, the division? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the, like the Salvation Army's Kind of homelessness or, or or trafficking work began with uh, when uh, a lady called Mrs. Cottrell welcomed uh, you know welcomed yeah. the fallen woman into her home, uh, but then you know so that so I mean that's a very uh, that's a relational thing right mm-hmm. that's, a, uh, that's a thing to do, uh, but then kind of as off the back of that it's, uh, it seemed it seems like there was kind of this sense of oh well that's that's a little bit oh gosh a bit dangerous you know what are we going to do we need some regulations we need some rules uh, so so then you kind of get this process of bureaucratization of of this helping service which really seems quite simple on the face of it um but then yeah the the setting up um so in in the uk there's there are two charitable trusts okay that, that the salvation army has so uh, so one is the salvation army trust and then one is the Salvation Army Social Work Trust, and that's similar in America to like incorporations or a limited liability corporate or some something like that. Like some, just keep going. Yeah, I, I just want yeah. to interpret. Sorry, yeah, that's fine. Um, and so, so, so as far as I understand it, 
uh, back when this was set up, it was it was set up so that people who were giving money for that important evangelistic cause that, you know, to 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 get people saved so that that money was going to be protected and wasn't going to be wasted on this frivolous earthly thing of helping people. Mm, right. Mm. Um, nowadays, it's, you know, as, as things have evolved, it's a bit more the other way. So right. <laughs> people give money because they want it to be spent on earthly things, important stuff like giving people homes, like clothing them and feeding them. Uh, but we don't want them wasting money on that evangelistic stuff, that yeah, frivolous yeah. You know, thing in the future. So, um, I mean, either, either way you end up with this separation, which is, which is really unhelpful and, and isn't helpful. You know, it's, it's firstly, it's bad theology. Um, secondly, it's poor, poor operationally. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work functionally um and uh, what you end up here in with in the uk as i say kind of the fundraising thing of paying other people other people to do the work but you'll end up with a salvation army church in one area a salvation army you know homeless accommodation in in one area as well but the two might have never met right, right. yeah uh, and it's just why why uh, yeah yeah so that that separation you know is i think is always has always been problematic um, and it even goes down to the to the officers too like so there's officers who go through training and are appointed to the social yeah. side to that that trust or that corporation let me kind of lay, lay out some of my some of our listeners might not know about this in the united states the way it got transferred of course this is this has to do with the way society is structured and the way that politics happens um but when in the united states we started with a similar distinction and it, the traces of it are still present um the the social as it was often identified in the united states was the adult rehabil what we know today as the adult rehabilitation center so every division every territory has a division of arcs which mm. i'm not sure each territory but i would guess has 40 to 60 units all around each territory and those units then run our family stores, our thrift stores, right? And then the funds that are restricted there. Well, that's the uh, institutional categorical outgrowth of that same thing. But in the United States, and, and, and it's still kind of separate today, though it all falls under the territorial commander. But uh, throughout the United States, outside that we've developed a, a, I mean, a wide variety of, of socially active responses. So for instance, where I am, and, and everywhere I've been, there's been everywhere the three appointments I've had have had homeless uh, sheltering operations, and that's not a part of any distinction. And so we've kind of naturally been there. Uh, I don't know, like at least since the 30s um, in the yeah. United States. So, uh, and I think in part that was related to the Great Depression. Though historically, this is something that um, Ed McKinley probably dissects better in his history of the Salvation Army in America called Marching to Glory. But like, um, but that said, like, I'm kind of like, I almost sound like, oh, we, we got you guys beat for like, you know, 80 years or something. But it's not really true because the exact same thing you describe is a reality um, for the American Salvation Army too. There are many soldiers who will be completely unaware of what what's happening, maybe what we call our Red Shield Lodge, our our emergency shelter for single men and women in in Tampa. But I mean, it's always kind of this fight to bring the two together. Yeah, and it and it could happen. You know, you you get this 
split even you know during days of the week don't you you know so monday to saturday is one group of people gathering at the salvation army and then sunday is another group of people that might wear slightly different clothes so you know there's there's opportunities everywhere for splits like that right right. um so uh, i think it's just something that we need to be attentive to i think within the salvation army where that in in the uk particularly where it's such a, a massive you know a massive split uh organizationally you know there's particularly uh yeah particular challenges that come about as a result of that um but i think it's something that we all yeah every church every yeah every every faith community every everybody who worships (laughs) uh you know has to be aware of that split you know those those sort of divisions and i guess you know on a very on a very individual basis it you know it's the you know kind of the challenge we all face growing up you know are we one person at the are we one person when we go to church on Sunday? are we another when we're at school are we another when we're in a playing sport and that sort of thing you know we've got this kind of desire you know it's better to be an integrated whole human being (laughs) across across the whole across the whole situation and i think that's uh similar you know, similar for organizations, really. And so and you have a kind of at the heart of your own experience, um, this broader view of the Salvation Army. Um, you grew up um, kind of an international person, right? T- talk about uh, how you were raised and, and, and in the context of the Salvation Army and maybe how that is in, impacting what you're actually doing. Yeah, so uh, my parents were officers um, and we, you know, like so many uh, officers' kids, uh, you know, ended up moving here, there and everywhere. Um, and um, yeah, so I ended up uh, before I was 18 living on living on five continents. Um, OK, so, that's not every officer, just to say. Like my uh, parents I moved mean, around, lit, but you, you, you're on five continents. <laughs> I, I mean, have you met many people who have had that experience? I mean, what a rich thing. Yeah, I mean, as as you travel more, you know, there's this you, you get to meet. Uh, particularly like in international school systems and stuff like that you come to learn about okay. loads of loads of professions that have this phenomenon really uh they talk about like third culture kids mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that you know where you uh you've you've got the you've got your home culture the culture in the community and then you kind of create a blend of a blend of that for yourself so yeah it's quite an interesting yeah an interesting experience an interesting phenomenon but you know you get uh yeah quite quite a few so quite yeah, you know, I've been in touch with a few friends and, and that sort of thing. So I, I know for sure you had Pakistan, Boston, <laughs> yeah, and Boston, New so, Zealand. Where else were you? Um, where else was I? Yeah, New Zealand, UK, obviously. Okay, yeah. was it five or four? Am I saying five? Were you Pakistan, in Africa ever? No, I, I didn't get Africa. Were, right? Am I overstating it? Was it four? Yeah, it was four continents. Okay. Sorry, no I problem. got excited. The, the point for some of my listeners will be very glad to know that that's why you're a, a Patriot fan and a uh, you might be interested in coming to Tampa sometime soon because we have uh, Tom Brady's just a couple miles from me. I know. What's the deal? I don't know. Yeah, he's he's moved. <laughs> you might be a Tampa Bay Bucks fan too. The, the Patriots have been like one of the most successful teams that I've supported. And now I'm really worried that they're going to go into the doldrums again. Uh, yeah, it's Which, funny to me. You like the team called the Patriots. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, I, I mean, I loved um, I loved living living in Boston, um, and and when I was at university, you know, I'd, I'd take the opportunity to to travel back and and come to the states as much as I could. 
Um, and yeah, sport, actually sport, you know, in moving from country to country, um, sport was, you know, one of the things that was, you know, my entry point. So I'd play, you know, I'd get interested in baseball and American football in, in Boston, cricket in Pakistan, rugby in New Zealand, uh, football, my football, soccer. Yeah, I got you. I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, football everywhere. Uh, so yeah, it's, it was, yeah. It's good. So uh, the reason I brought it up, I think I think this is the reason, or maybe it was just a nice diversion, um, the, was that y- you um, weren't necessarily a product product of the British Salvation Army. Um, so, and I like to think <laughs> this is. Now you just tell me if this is silly or off the walls or too too far. But but you had to think about the Salvation Army in broader terms. And your dad's one of the unique people, General Shaw Clifton. The way he describes uh, Salvationism and then you know kind of the big components of what Salvationism is. So then, when you get into this context of being in, in like the leader of a Salvation Army unit with your wife, it's those broad principles that come into play. And you look at a system that's not functioning well and is disintegrated. Oh, that doesn't work. Not integrated. <laughs> and, fragmented. Yeah, fragmented. Yeah. There you go. Better word. Um, and so bifurcated, you know, I've often used that like just entirely. Mm-hmm. So you had to do something about it. Um, did, did that background helped you, help you as you started to work? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're all, yeah, we're all products of our environment, aren't we? And, um, you know, the... You, you overhear what your parents are talking about, uh, you know, um, and, and the issues that, that are coming up. Um, but really, I, th- I think you know the drive. The drivers for me around some of the so these principles of embedding Salvation Army social work within the life of the church. I mean, that really that comes more from my mum than it it does from my from my dad necessarily. Um, uh, with my mum's work on on human trafficking, um, yeah. With uh, yeah, I just said different ways that I saw her acting for justice in in different ways. Uh, so so I think my mum is is probably a bigger driver in that, just in terms of the ethos. I I think as well, just a you know, um, and I can't remember having my parents as core officers. Hmm. Um, just yeah, with with memories, they were they all they always had different different roles uh, but i can't remember you know i can't remember being involved in any sort of um kind of social work ministry growing mm. up as a salvationist mm. um, and once i encountered that a bit more late, later on as a as an officer you know, I, I, I kind of recognized this frustration it's like i, I kind of felt like i'd missed out mm. um, mm-hmm. uh, it's like you know you grow up you miss out on all the all these opportunities for ministry uh, should be quite present. Uh, it should be there. So, yeah, uh, and yeah. Again, another driver for me is that I don't I don't want others to miss out on those opportunities um, as part of their experience of Christ and their, their experience of growing up in the in the army. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and I do think there's a sense that it is um, attention to manage as opposed to a problem to be solved. Um, and because everywhere I go, it's everywhere I've been appointed in, and, and, and the, the American Salvation Army or officer's kid experience is probably a little different. Like I, um, I grew up more engaged in that process because it, it like, I hate, I, I've been really intrigued by organizational structure over the last 10 years. And, mm. um, 
my role or my the roles that my parents had as core officers were, was always a um, had a leadership role within the social work. As well, I mean, right. and, and, and I think you know from my my experience, my own writing, like I I'm resistant to language social work because I think mm-hmm. it separates things out in, broadly. Yeah. Anyways, like I prefer thinking of our our outreach in the community as hospitality or something that is more biblical. Like I just think, in, in we're inevitably when we try to take two things and say we have the social work and the spiritual work, but we need to put them together. We're already separating it, so we have to find something that's more integrative. Um, yeah. So the uh, Matt and you do, do your group. What you've done has also been an interfaith work. Is that correct? Like you've worked with yeah, other. So, yeah, and this is this is part of that uh, part of the principle that I was talking about with um, working with people who are different from us mm-hmm. to be able to address common issues. You know, homelessness doesn't care whether you're Muslim or Sikh or Christian or you know um, you know the housing situations affect us all. Um, so. Uh, to help with the to help with the building process um you know with for political weight uh, but also for uh, support with fundraising and that um we we set up uh, what we called a sponsoring committee um so it had different senior faith leaders from the community that that were involved in that uh, and who have a have even now you know have a real sense of ownership of the initiative um so you know when it came to uh, so when when you're building a building in the UK, you have to go. You have to get planning permission. It's called. So you have to get permission from that, that right, uh, right. local level. Uh, and so we Us took. Uh, yeah. So I'm in that so process we, right now. Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, we had a there was a public kind of a public committee meeting. So yeah, it was a great opportunity. We took a brass band and the flag and a hundred people to go and support our planning application. Hmm, awesome. uh, you know, like we're designed for public action. So let's translate it, that into every situation that, that's possible. Hmm. Uh, but it was really cool. Cause we had, you know, people from all men, you know, people from all aspects of the community, different faiths, different traditions uh, that joined us with that, you know, marching behind an army flag. Um, so wow. it was, yeah, it was, a, it was, it was a great experience, but you know, the project wouldn't have happened without them. It wouldn't, it just wouldn't have got established. So I think it's quite, it's quite similar. Um, you know, I learned a lot from uh, like the American advisory boards and, and, and right, that sort right. of to be able to, you know, to be able to facilitate things like that. So yeah, yeah that's so, something that we, yeah, in the same way. That's great. I mean, it might be inter- interesting how those principles, like, I mean, some people will often not like the it, it, internationally. Some people look at our advisory board structure and don't like it and think we're allowing people in who um you know don't have the army's full mission at heart and 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 honestly that can be true (laughs) and and because they often represent fundraising and uh uh, money and there's also a sense too that um after 150 years of serving people who are often poor or don't have resources or haven't been given um opportunities for educational advancement that our congregations sometimes not always um but i would say generally our congregations generally don't have the capacity to operationally advise officers on the totality of our work so who can though is often advisory board members and uh civic business leaders who 
identify the mission generally are Christians, but not always. We have two Jewish members of our board here, and we've had you know other other folks who wouldn't uh, would not certainly sign Articles of War or Soldiers Covenant, and certainly yeah. wouldn't identify with the position statements of the Salvation Army, but are willing, like you said, to support in these areas, lend their political support and lend their financial support. Um, yeah. So that's similar. That's really important. I think I think it's a really important thing um to facilitate and i think i i I guess the key word is you know uh is advisory um right and uh similarly you know with our with our committee it's a sponsoring committee it's not kind of a management team in in that sense so uh yeah i think as long as there's clarity and i think also um you know clarity about uh you know clarity about the army's role the army's mission um who we are and what we do um, is is key in, in those sort of contexts, uh, yeah, yeah. That's I, I'm interested. It's interesting though that that has come along. I think there there has been uh, attempts at forming f- formal boards. It's interesting though to me though that throughout the you know the, um, international army places have tried to have boards take off, but it hasn't worked. Um, and I I do think there's a, a Something about the way capitalism expresses itself in the United States and individualism, and I'm not I'm not actually using those words as a, as bad words, by the way. Um, but the, the the form of government and society has, for whatever re- reason, created an environment where boards can help the army's mission. And I just wonder, in a more globalized society, if some of those things are being are more able or. Or it's, it's, it's a smoother process to making it happen in the UK. That now that might be something that could happen. Possibly, I think. Uh, I think you know, in my my observations in the states is as generally there's a much more philanthropic culture mm-hmm. uh, where there's less of a reliance on on government um, for for support, kind of for collective help. Right. Um, that then ends up depending more on the generosity of individuals, um, which. Pluses and minuses. There. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> National healthcare. I'm sure you could. Yeah. 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 B- pieces like that. You know. Thank we. Thank God for the for the NHS in in circumstances like this. That's the National Health Service. Oh, thank you. Those, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I couldn't. Hear. Um, and uh, yeah. So I, I I think there's there's an aspect of that in in the UK, uh, but definitely not to the same extent. You know. Um, you know, in the UK, generally people pay their taxes, and the and the wealth is is redistributed in in that in that way. Um, but it doesn't always yeah. work, like what you're experiencing. Pluses and minuses, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and so we've we've developed a more individualistic way of looking at it that we want to and like. But I mean, America isn't set up in the United States isn't set up in a way that is like a. Uh, there isn't aren't those supports like in place um so it still is there but but certainly that's the yeah. and i think that's part of what you've experienced is that well why would the salvation army get involved in this if they do they're just an agent of the of the government and that happens in other countries too so why would a core officer respond i mean it's just out of the ordinary but i love how you've done it john i mean i just love that you've been able to take the broad principles of serving the community and uh, adapting the army's mission to this very specific way and 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 then been able i mean by i really think by the spirit to to put into place an organizational structure that accommodates that mission i i applaud you john oh thank you well it's still still early days for us (laughs) in in having uh in having set up malachi place but um 
yeah, we're we're seeing you know we're seeing the fruit of it in in so many different ways. I just think it's a, a apart from anything, I think it produces better results. I think it's a, just a, a more effective way of supporting people by embedding things within the life of a community. Yeah. Uh, and you know, a Salvation Army Corps, Salvation Army Church, you know, at its best is an authentic Christian community, mm-hmm. uh, and it uh, and if that's not transformative, uh, if that's not uh, you know, useful to, to people's lives, then, um, yeah, it's probably not an authentic Christian community. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's, that's my sense on it. Well, I only have a few more minutes cause you have to get going. Um, and I would love to hear, maybe y'all can just follow John on Twitter or Facebook and just find, see what's happening as this idea is getting implemented or trying to be implemented in other places. But at the, at the foundation of this, and we won't have time, we wouldn't even have time to read your abstract, I'm sorry to say, but you did a doctoral dissertation at King's College, kind of as a foundation for some of your work. I'm just going to read the title, and hopefully I have time to do that. Producing Christ in the World, A Study of Christian Action in Terms of the Homeless Man as a Christological Paradigm of Powerlessness. So... I, th- I think where you're going to, I read your master's thesis, which work, was, if you can work out what that means, can you let me know? <laughs> well, you tried to do it in 277 pages, it looks like, but I'm not sure. I think you'll probably still have some questions. <laughs> A lot of questions. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, the basic, the basic principle of it is that, uh, you know, taking, uh, Matthew 25 seriously, um, that, uh, that Christ is present in those situations where we're giving people food or clothing people who are without clothes, giving drink to the thirsty, mm. welcoming the stranger and that, that taking seriously that Christ is present there um, and taking that as, as a serious uh, sacramental experience there um, that Christ is, yeah, Christ is really present. Mm. Yeah. I, well, that, that's a nice breakdown. Um, I'm sure that you could talk about it for a long time. Maybe we'll have another time we can have you on at that. But it seems like, like th- th- that is a challenging passage of scripture. Not just because it challenges to do more, but um, I've generally I've just kind of give you my, my I, I I've gone back and forth on this. Honestly, there was a time when I looked at the world as kind of like needing, as you said earlier, something sort of like a re- redistribution of of wealth and resources. And I was probably more in a position where I I would I was looking at anybody who was homeless as somebody who um, was mistreated or oppressed. And I think there certainly is a component of that. And I remember even one point where I was um, looking at somebody who was in one of our sh- shelters or receiving salvation services, and I even called them Jesus. Like I said, here you go, Jesus. Because I, I kind of like was taking that idea on. But I've, I've, I've come to like interpret hermeneutically that passage in a way that I think of it more in terms of like this was a way for Jesus to express the our, our calling to be active and not an ontological reality but i'm but you i think disagree based upon the little bit i've read here with that yeah yeah i would i would push it further to say i would i would say that there is an ontological an ontological reality to christ's presence in a person who's in a condition of powerlessness like that in the same way that there's an ontological reality to christ who is in me or christ who is in you uh, as well um and i think um you know i make the argument in the thesis that the the met you know it's a different it's a, it's a different presence um but mm. that yeah, I think, I think the kind of the grammar of sacramentality, I think, is the most useful, the useful way to talk about that. Um, and I, I think it makes, you know, it seems to me to make much more sense of um, 
what a Salvation Army, uh, a Salvation Army understanding of um, of the sacramental really is. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, no, we, I think we disagree on that. As yeah, well. sure, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can talk about that another time as well. Yeah, I know. I'm, I, I have two minutes, and I bring up all these nice deep things. I mean, and you, I mean, you kind of lean on Foucault, and um, I mean, some kind of like a postmodern hermeneutical basis for some of this and like i know this deserves a lot longer but i mean and you've said the word powerlessness quite a bit and of course that was so important to foucault in the p- postmodern project um yeah and, go ahead sorry no well, i i think um you know in terms of uh like a philosophical or, or theological method um i found yeah i found foucault and Giorgio gambon quite helpful mm-hmm. to to be a think of um those uh, people who are in in those situations of particular situations of powerlessness. I think one of the things is you know any, any of us can find ourselves in no, in those situations at different at different points in time. You know uh, the you know with uh, COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. you know thinking a lot about uh, people who are unwell, people who are sick. Um, so so what does it what does it mean to visit the sick in a context like this? Um, and, and recognizing that Christ is present in those particular conditions of powerlessness as well. So um, yeah, so there's a universality to it that I find appealing um in in the sense of the the capacity for for christ to be present in in many different situations um but yeah it seems so Foucault and Foucault and Agamben were helpful with that um just it yeah their particular treatment of certain phenomena mm-hmm. certain figures in in history um that, that seem to be adapted and I think you know you can see it you can see it in the Chris, in the Christian tradition um you know in different ways that we've uh, different, you know, St. Francis responding to the leper and uh, thing, things, things, uh, yeah, aspects like that, where you can see kind of these figures that have been quite consistent through the through the Christian tradition, uh, where we've recognised, you know, a presence of the divine, which, yeah, which I, we, I, I would take, it, I would, I would want to push that and, and take that seriously. Yeah. Well, I, I, obviously, you know, we've had some good. I, I hope. I, I hope, like. Uh, it's hard, you know. Twitter is hard. Twitter's not a like a. Twitter's awful. It's not a good place. <laughs> but you, you and I've had some good you know, people who know me know that um, I think that like I think, it, well, I would in in general like we can still agree upon all the actions that we would take in in in, in response to human need, um, but I don't think that should necessarily divorce us ecclesially from our opportunity to um, partake of the church's tradition of of the Lord's Supper or baptism. And see, see, to me, like, I think it's just like, well, I mean, you could do that and you could also at the same time use the, use the elements. I, I just, yeah. I just think, I just think if you speak to a Catholic, he's, you know, the Catholic's not going to, not going to, not going to agree with what you think is the Lord's Supper or. Sure. And then you're going to have to say, well, why didn't you do that one with the Anglican? They're going to say a different thing again, the Baptist, etc. cetera. Um, so I, I, I think it just, there's there's scope and yeah it would be good to it would be good to be able to unpack this a bit more yeah i'm sorry uh, i'm sorry no it's okay but like to just it, like the way i've come way i've approached it in the thesis is just to recognize recognize the salvation army's you know theological state at the moment um, that there is a gap there that there is uh, an opening which is what i would call it to to be able to explore something in a slightly different way um and so i'm i'm reluctant to uh i'm reluctant to give up that opportunity 
um, because I think when you push through it, as, as I've tried to do in the thesis, I think when you push through that gap, uh, you actually come to a really rich and really beautiful understanding of what um, a wider, a more broader and a much less ritualistic Eucharistic practice looks like i think it looks much more um like something that's in matthew 25 and i think that has a particularly pertinent message for right now where um, you know i don't know if it uh, like in the uk um you know church traditions that are really focused on the sacrament really focused on the eucharist and bread and wine can't get their bread and wine lest coronavirus be transmitted right. um, along with that salvific grace you know so uh, and I, I just want to tell them that is don't worry your salvation is not at risk you're okay right, jesus right. loves you he's in you will continue to be whether or not you've practiced a particular ritual or not just right, lean right. on him or your understanding like it's fine chill yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's not many church traditions that have the opportunity to say that and and to be able to reassure people in that way so yeah. i just yeah i just think there's openings there that um are, are reluctant to dispense with in in that sense i mean i would love to i would love i i don't think i think i keep on agreeing with uh you know 80 percent of what you're saying and i think i could have but i but i'm in and, and, and i think like the practical way that it expresses itself you and i are you know we're brothers in christ but brothers in army's mission and i think if people were to look at what you and i do every day and um i think they would see a lot of commonality and i'm just so thankful Absolutely. for that and the way that the army expresses itself you know by the power of the spirit in these unique unique communities and of course our, our our cultures are very similar i know you got to go here um but uh could, could you just give me a quick like on like who are some of the key influences on your life in in ministry um yeah well my mom and dad are, are really obvious examples yeah. um so sure and helen clifton um uh, somebody else um is uh nick coke yeah um so he he you you, you would know him um but he's a he's a quality guy who I've learned an awful lot from. Um, so he's a he's an officer in in London as as well. Um, so yeah, he would he's someone who's had a had a big influence on the way I operate, the yeah. way I think. Um, had a, my my first uh, no well my training principal um, was uh, Norman Ord. Uh, so he's he's also a he's he's now a divisional commander somewhere else uh, but he was my divisional commander for a while but he he's also been a been a big influence on my uh, ministry as well um just in terms of trusting you know trusting us to crack on with things so yeah those those would be my those would be my key my key ones yeah um, i love for it for the moment and you and nick have um, written a, a book together or at least a, a small a track i'm not quite sure but um the, yeah we called it a pamphlet officially because pamphlet. if it's if it's a pamphlet if it's 49 pages or less you don't need to go through the salvation army uh process to there get you <laughs> well yeah. you probably are getting a call saying you're late someplace um but, but john let me uh <laughs> let me appreciate you coming on captain's corner and we look forward to seeing what god continues to do through you I'm sorry that that conversation with 
Captain Dr. John Clifton got cut short. It, I don't really see this as a debating argument show at all, and there would be very few things that uh, I would disagree with uh, John on, but it's so thankful for his life and ministry, and you can find what he's doing online. There's really some powerful things happening at his core through this outreach to the homeless community. It would have been nice, and, and, and John and I both, I think, would enjoy debating a little bit more about Foucault uh, and powerlessness um, and some of those concerns, and of course, sacraments in the South Army, and I'm I, I'm gonna resist doing that at this point. But I'm just obviously there's some there's some differences there, but that that doesn't undercut the the mission of the Salvation Army to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in His name without discrimination. Maybe John and I can have a, a sacraments conversation here sometime in the future, but we'll we'll wait on that. So thankful for the work he's doing, and I hope that that was an encouragement to you as well. God bless you. Next week on the podcast, we have Dr. Nathan Miller, professor of musicology at Asbury University. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.